This week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee's Summit. Jason, our friends at Budget Blinds are some of my favorite community supporters. They are spectacular. They've been doing this stuff for three generations of local ownership. And, and they did last week. Now we're past it. But we're going we're gonna to put a big thank you out to all the people in the city who came and participated in their donations for Lee's Summit Social Services got their picture taken with the big guy and, and made that event a smashing success if we were to judge social media at all. Well, I think that's our job. We do judge them. And it was such a big success that our friends at Budget Blinds and our friend over at KC Communications and Media Matters, we've all three decided we're going to do the event next year. Already scheduled. Santa will come back next year. You mean we get to have Christmas again in 2019? Yes. Official decision, Christmas in 2019 while we're at it. Thank you, Budget Blinds, and thank you, Santa. It was a great event. Thank you, guys. Hello again, and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I am Jason Norbury, and as always, I am a man who is joined by a man who is sure that he cannot hear the orchestra from here. It's Nick Parker, the publisher of Link to Lee Summit. That's right. We are once again in the Bridge Space Studios. And down the hall, the other end of Bridge Space, is the Lee Summit Jazz Orchestra getting ready for their performance tonight, benefiting Lee Summit Social Services, Prodeo, and Casa. You got it. Link to Lee Summit continues to be in our now inaptly named weekly podcast that we're doing twice this week, is the source for all the news you need about this very fine city, and our unofficial sponsor today apparently is stumbling over our own words. <laughs> <laughs> and also I should say that it's it's three times a week now Lee Summit Town Hall comes at you. We've got our news flash on Monday mornings, our news link, then we've got Wednesday, and then we have Friday. I am trying my best to take over the world, or at least my tiny little portion of it. Bounded by a nutshell and considers himself king of infinite space. Well, Shakespeare, go. drop some Shakespeare on you today. All right, so we are here, uh, especially this week. We did the flip of our, our process, and we're going to talk a little bit about the, the final result of the uh, CFMP from the R7 school district, and we'll get in a little later about the... Uh, Streets of West Prior project that the council uh, deliberated earlier this week as well. So with that, we're going to jump right in to the school board. Jason, it's over. Sort of. Well, I mean, it's over in that the planning part's over and the actual implementation will take place in several months. Right, which is summed up as it's over. It's over. Sort of. Sort of. So the CMFP process. Comprehensive Facilities Master Plan is moving to the next step. Here's what we had, Jason. There's a lot of input over the last three and a half, four months. It was relatively, relatively quick, but uh, a lot got done. It was a, There was a uh, kind of steering committee team made up. It had made up of a lot of citizen input. Also had people from the, from the district and other stakeholders in the area. There were three engagement series where they invited the public to participate and to give notes and thoughts and then even though it wasn't really officially part of the process jason there was the social media where everybody gave their input whether it was um factual or not all that is done what just happened where are we at 
Oh man. So uh, let me give you a quick thing. So they, they had their meeting. There was um, a, a round of public comments at the beginning of the school board meeting last week. Um, a lot of people expressing opinions about what have you. There was one minor amendment to by the end from uh, school board member R- Ryan Murdoch. And, and then the, the comprehensive facilities master plan phase one, which is the part that's going to take place in this next section, next year or two, was approved. And the biggest thing, and I think the thing that most people got the most exercised about and upset about. Can I say the word? Can I say the word? What's the word? Realignment. Realignment. Removing of our school boundaries where your kids may or may not go to school this year or next year that's different than this year. And I think as it turns out, there's really a surprisingly small number of students that got – uh, got moved as a whole. And as happens every time a district goes through this this process, which every district does go through at one point or another, and, 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 and you grow. You have to change. As always happens, there is a group of people that's disappointed, that has to change, that is going to follow what wasn't their plan when they purchased the house or when they moved to that particular area. But as you said, this looks to be a, a, a smaller portion of students moving than maybe was originally thought. As it turns out, Jason, 369 elementary students will be moving schools for the 2019-2020 year. Right. And the vast majority of those, like 270 of those 370 students, are going are students that are in the very southwest uh, part of Lee Summit in the Rain Tree area down by the 150. 204 students are going to move from a different school to Trail Ridge Elementary, and there are 66 kids that are going to move from a different school to Summit Point because I think it's uh, Hawthorne Hill and uh, Summit Point had some – significant capacity issues not only now but coming down the road and so they had to make those realignments to deal with that and another chunk is going to move about 90 kids or so from hazel grove to underwood elementary right and that's another one of the other schools that i think suffered from most suffered from capacity issues um because there's been a, a significant amount of growth up in that very very northern part of the district now now the secondary schools i think is where a lot more of the chatter and the consternation and the worry was because you know, it's a little it's a little harder to move your kids where when they're in middle and high school. It's you know, look, being a teenager is hard enough. Changing schools just makes it a little bit harder. And then changing schools when you're already in the middle of it because some line got redrawn is probably enough to make anybody mad. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to redo being a teenager, and I'm a little scared about when my kid becomes one. So then changing schools might be a little harder. But as it turns out. About 380, 390 students are going to be moving out of the Lee Summit West Pipeline into the Lee Summit High School Pipeline. And and the biggest reason for this, Jason, Lee Summit West is at capacity. It just is at a point where it cannot take more students. Right. And so the vast majority of these are in the uh, what we would call the Winterset area, south of Chipman Road, out towards View High Drive, that area of town. Um, all of the students that got realigned are are realigned from there, and I know that there was a lot of a uh, lot of consternation about all that. But that's that's the chunk of kids. Now there are no shortage of exceptions to this rule. So right. Let's... So Jason, now that this has happened, I don't really like it. My, my kid was at this school. I want him to. I want him to stay. C- can my kid stay? In large part, yes. Um, but you have to ask. 
All right. So if you are a current, if your child is a current 11th grader, so a current junior in high school, they're eligible to stay in the school they're in now, or which I mean, assuming in this case, it would be Lee Summit West, uh, and transportation will be continued to be provided by the district for that child to finish their senior year at the high school. So that's the first one. And that's the easiest one. And that makes the, I think the most sense. You don't rip somebody from one school to another for their senior year. Right. Um, and, and keep in mind in this, everybody who wants this transfer has to ask. That's the, I think that's the big thing is it just doesn't happen on its own. You have to ask, and whether it's to fill out the form, whatever, you have to make that effort. Right, and you'll get it automatically. So now for 10th graders, once again, if you submit a request, um, you will be approved to stay in your current school. However, parents are now responsible for transportation. So there's no bus or anything to get you to and from school. If you are a sophomore. If you're a sophomore now. Um, and then that will be for the remainder of your high school. You can do that, but you have to reapply for each of those years. If you are a ninth grader, um, the same rule um, basically applies. You can um, – you would n- – automatically get moved to the new high school, but you can submit a request, you'll get approved to remain in your school, but you have to provide, parents provide transportation, and that has to be done once again every year. Now, there was one um, amendment and one change in the process. Essentially, if you're an eighth grader and you have a sibling that is a sophomore or junior, you can request uh, to be Put kept in the school that your sibling would be staying in. So that you can follow the same pipeline as your sibling. Correct. Um, but parents are responsible for that transportation. You have to do the request on an annual basis and what have you. Um, and there was an amendment around that. That was the amendment that uh, school board member Murdoch put, proposed to make sure that – and it's a very, very small number of students. It's like eight or something like that. It's a very small number. Um, and then if you are a seventh grader or below – you're you're moving, um, except for I think certain fifth graders um, will will be able to do that to stay in their their elementary school for their sixth grade year. But everybody else. gets But moved. again, it comes down to you, you. You need to as a parent, you need to make the request. Right, with you the have district. To, you have to put the request in and and go through that process. But I think all of those requests are essentially automatically granted once they're made. And then on a case-by-case basis, and the superintendent raised this concern when they, they started getting into some really weedy details, that it would, you know, there are certain very, very fine cases where they need to be, it doesn't fit into any of these rules, but it might make sense for them to transfer or not, you know, change schools or not change schools. And the, um, you can make that application. It's just not going to be automatically granted. It's something that they look at at the administration level and, and make a decision as they go forward. So I'm going to ask you, Jason, mm-hmm. now, that, now that the process of phase one is completed, we have our new boundaries drawn. We know where kids are going to go for the next school year. What do you think of the process? We talk a lot about process on here. And we talk a lot about kind of digging through and digging past the conversations that happen sometimes on social media and in the coffee shop. The process has been questioned a lot publicly. What do you think of this process? And was it was it as transparent as it could be or should be? And was it was it handled was it handled in a way that was effective? It's kind of difficult to to, to put this. I, I'll, I guess you, the easiest start, starting point is to put forth. There were 11 
sessions of community engagement in September, October, and November. And they kind of built on each other that as a That is a lot to throw into the first semester of a school year. Right. And so there was a lot of opportunity for people to voice. There was obviously a lot of things voiced at school board meetings. There was a lot of commentary on social media. There was a lot of discussion about it. And I think the, the, the thing that we have to sometimes remember is the loudest voices tend to be the ones that you hear but they may or may not be very representative of the, the overall thing. And, and so there's only so much a body can do. Um, I think as a whole is if you make forth to hold four sessions in September, four sessions in October, and three more sessions in November to allow people to come in and give input, that's a pretty good process. And as a general rule, uh, I would be deferential to the outcome that's put forth by that. Now, I think in any kind of a process where you're trying to weigh all these various and things and move people around and, and be as sensitive as you can to these, you know, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be a lot of work that is done in, in somebody's office, sitting in front of a computer, clicking boundaries and doing things, and they're going to make recommendations. But they take that into effect. And and a lot of times I think that the, the, dis, the unhappiness at the outcome is more personal than it is that the process was bad. I would agree with that. Um, and and so to me, I think it's, it, you know, can it be better? Sure. Could it be more comprehensive? I guess you maybe you started it in the summer instead of in the fall or you run some other process like that. There's always more you can do, but in a relatively condensed time frame, they'd had a lot of public input. It made, it made changes in the end state to what was happening um, all these boundary changes and the things that are going forth at that point. So I think that process, especially for the the realignment of the school boundaries, is something that was done fairly well. Um, I think that you know now looking forward, um, the this phase one of this, this yeah we're not done. Plan, yeah we're not done. This phase one had some recommendations for some other things that I think there were going to need to be more conversation about and and an understanding of the push pull on that as well. Well, and I think that, you know, that's where the next conversations are going to go and where we'll be watching that process again and doing doing our best to keep keep the conversation going in the public area. Um, overcrowding is still going to be a thing. So this doesn't solve – these new boundaries do not solve all problems. Right. Lee Summit West is still crowded. Mm-hmm. Lee Summit will be larger capacity now. Lee Summit North is crowded. So now what we're looking at are some questions. Here's Here are the recommended things to, to look at. Is sixth grade moved out of elementary schools and into the middle schools? Are there more elementary schools built? Is there another, a fourth middle school built? And this question has been around for a long, long time. Do they build a fourth high school? Right. And so I think the the this phase of the recommendations or the, the plan made a – Raised the question, and I don't think with a direct recommendation, although I think if you read between the lines, this is kind of where they're leaning. I think there are, I think there are hints as to what, what the group thinks is the best answer. Right. But it's calling for the conversation. Calling I, for I the don't conversation. Think, so. I don't think in any way is it trying to usurp the process. Right. And and you know, at the end of all of this is a bond issue and they have to decide how much bond you know, how much money do they need to raise from that bond and where that money's going to go. And so there's going to be a lot of conversation about that. So I think the, the, the CFMP made the uh, basically laid the case out for 
adding a fourth middle school and moving sixth graders out of the elementary schools into that, showing that it would basically reduce the amount of crowding or not cra- or capacity concerns. We'll be using the nice word, the capacity concerns at all, but I think two of the elementary schools, whereas right now it's projected that essentially every school in the district will have be over capacity in the next five years or so. So that's one. Um, and then it raises the question because it's a lot more expensive to build a high school, like twice as expensive to build a high school, $100 million versus $50 million to build a middle school, which is another twice as expensive it is to build an elementary school. And so those are questions that have got to be answered, and they're going to have that conversation um, about that and, and work that out as they go forward. Jason, as if you didn't get nerdy enough while talking about the R7 school district and the boundary changes, I am putting this pitch right down the middle for you. We're going to talk development and development process. This week in front of the city council, the Streets of West Pryor project came back. Now, this is a project that's been around for a year, maybe a year and a half, and it's taken on a lot of different forms. You may think this is unusual, but it's really not. This is just sometimes what the development process is like. There's a lot of back and forth between the developer and the city staff and then the city council. What does the city council want to do? How do they want this to to look and to form? I think the project took a pretty big step forward this week. There were four different items on the agenda concerning this one project. I'm going to ask a really hard question of you. Can you very briefly remind us what this development is? No. Briefly. No. (laughs) All right. Yeah, we're going to give it a shot. Okay. So this is the Streets of West Prior Project is a project that is going to sit, assuming it gets done and built, at the intersection of 470 and Prior Road there on the southwest quadrant of that. So that'll sit across for those of you who like to orient yourselves by the uh, location of other prominent Lee Summit buildings. It's going to sit across Prior Road from the Jack Stack Barbecue. Because I actually dated a girl in college that didn't understand cardinal directions, but if you told her where the restaurant is and where to go, she knew exactly how to find it. Well, look, I feel like, Jason, that if you're talking to someone who lives in the Kansas City area and you say that empty lot next to a barbecue joint of said name, Mm -hmm. they're going to know exactly what you're talking about. So in this case, a cross prior road from Jackstack is what we're talking about. Right. And now this is a mixed use development. Right. And so in that is going to be uh, a grocery store, one of the major anchors that is going to be there. There will be a, a four or I think a four story tall regulation old apartment complex. There's going to be a three or four story tall senior apartment complex. There's going to be a number of restaurant pad sites and a hotel um, spot in the on the very north end of the project. There's also some in future developments that's not part of the plan that was put forth in front of the council today. There's uh, some plans for some single family residential stuff on the back side or the west side of that. Well, let's just talk about the four things that were up before the council this this week. There was a public hearing on the preliminary development plan, mm-hmm. which was was the newly redrawn plan itself. There was a presentation on a TIF plan, which we know gets everybody excited when we start talking about incentives. A public hearing on the Chapter 100 bond deal, and also a public hearing on the Community Improvement District. So there were a lot of that. stuff. A lot of stuff. 
Let's first talk about the development plan. You've already told us a little bit about what's going to be there, and I think that's what most of us care about. Mm-hmm. But before we get into to the three things which really center around the incentives and the financing for making this thing actually happen, let's talk about that development plan and go a little bit past just what's going to be there, but maybe what changed, what what changes were made based on earlier conversations from the dais. Right. So keep in mind um, that this has been, I think we first saw it at the Planning Commission in early 2017, maybe late 2016. It's been a while that's come through there. And it was initially a actually a city-initiated rezoning with an idea towards a bigger plan that was out there. And then uh, as developers started to kind of step in, there was originally some multifamily along uh, Lowenstein Drive, which is what connects, it sort of separates this development from the the park, Lowenstein Park. Just and, down the way from Jack Stack. And yeah, just down the way from Jack Stack, sort of across from the Coles. Uh, and uh, and then uh, into the, the neighborhood subdivision that's already there, that's been there for, for quite a long time. And the neighbors, of course, had a lot of concerns about traffic and what have you. And, and so the multifamily location has moved. And so it's come a little bit closer to Prior Road, both the senior and the um, the sort of normal, I guess, non-age restricted apartments that were, that are being planned there. Um, there's been a lot of amenities added to sort of buffer there. The developer has uh, committed to do a fairly healthy chunk of money and improvements to Lowenstein itself to add some parking, a little bit better street access and things of that, partly to be an amenity for the residents that will be living in those two apartment complexes, but also, I think, as a, a nice piece of PR to help uh, to help ease the, uh, the concerns of the neighbors that are, are there. Uh, the grocery store has been a, a pretty central thing. It's a McKeever's market. Uh, it's they'll be new to the metro area. They have a, a, a specific sort of higher end fancy foods and that kind of stuff. Um, Whole Foods ish, I'll say, uh, type experience uh, in there. The restaurant sites, none of them are really dialed in, or at least they haven't released any of the names. And I think the hotel has been something, and the hotel extra hotel space is something that the city council has wanted for a while, though they they really pushed for some convention space. But in this iteration that we have here, there is no convention or conference center planned for this development. So that's the kind of the basics. So this is a rezoning of the land to get it all into the right kind of piece that it needs to be. And then the preliminary development plan that um, has gotten approval on first reading from the council um, to deal with that. At the planning commission level, since we can, it's gone by and I can talk about that now, uh, we were, I think, you know, there was a lot of challenges in getting this to a spot where the, the residents were far more in alignment with being okay with the development and what have you, which they are. Um, and, and a lot of that work, that iterative work over time has made a big difference. Um, and, and we raised some questions about, you know, location of the pad sites and what kind of restaurants are going to be on them and what have you. And these are things were echoed by the council. Um, as well. Uh, but I think in general, the, the idea for a large mixed use um, residential, you know, restaurant, hotel, grocery store development is pretty, it got generally has the blessing, I think, of, of everybody involved. Well, let's move now to, and, and maybe we can, we can lump together. Let's move now to the, those things that center around incentives and Finance. And I don't think we need to to go into full detail of of the TIF plan and the and the Chapter One Hundred bond, but but maybe kind of kind of help us a, a little bit understand what each of those three things does, 
and what some of the feedback from the council was. Okay, so all of it is generally um, oriented to create money or redirect money that would otherwise be generated into the hands of the developer um, so that the developer can defray some of the costs of construction and operation over the life of, or over a period of time. Uh, TIF um, is essentially taking the money or offsetting the money that would be paid in property taxes um, on the property, on the increase in the value of the land over the life of the thing. And, and collect, essentially the city collects that money and pays it in to, to that. And they can use that as, as the short version is essentially the, the developer can borrow money against that to help finance construction costs. And, and that's a gross oversimplification. So the three people out there who are really into uh, tax financing on municipal building projects are going to be mad at me. But that's the basic gist of it um, that they could do. So that's what the TIF does is it offsets property taxes. The Chapter 100 uh, is a an ability to essentially exempt the purchase of the construction materials and what have you from sales taxes, thereby lowering the cost of the construction materials to save the developer money that way. And then the CID and, and or the TDD, which is a very similar thing, but essentially adds an additional piece of sales tax onto everything that's sold that's subject to sales tax in that area. And then that money in this particular case is routed in to help offset certain costs of improvements and what have you. Uh, the argument that they put forth is a couple of things. One is there's some when you say they, you're talking about the, from the developer the developers perspective. Because the developer, remember, would like to pay none of those things ever. That's sort of the first keep in mind, uh, that that's a whole. And the city has a policy that says if you ask for this smaller amount, we're not going to fight you at all. And if you ask for a larger amount, then we have to have a much more of a discussion as to what's going on. So the argument that the developer starts with is there were certain infrastructure improvements that are, are necessary to make this land developable at all. Otherwise, uh, if, you're, if you go and look at the land right now, it's very hilly. Um, there's a very steep incline right off of Prior Road, um, and it runs out. Then part of the property is actually over an area that had been mined out for limestone a long time ago. And then additionally to that, there are some high voltage transmission power lines that run through the just right through the middle of the project or where the project would be. And so they say in order, you know, so to knock down the hill to make the land developable at all, redirect the power lines so that they can build through the, you know, they can minimize the impact in the developable space in the middle and the other bits and pieces that go with any of these kinds of projects. Those are things that are necessary to make this developable and we should, you know, this is something the city might want to help just to incentivize the fact that there might be development at all on the thing. So that's that that's part of what they said. And then they go in the and do the second piece and there's a very long kind of windy independent analysis of the the plan, um, sort of the development plan and the financing plan to make a determination as the law requires that there's what's called a but-for test. Um, but for these incentives, we wouldn't build this project, is the short version. And it goes through a lot of winding numbers and math to say, okay, it takes it from this potential risk and return ratio to this potential risk and return ratio, and that's in line with market forces and makes the project buildable. 
So after that step, after we've 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 heard the the developer's case for why the city should make these funds available or or lower these tax rates, what what was what was the city's response? What was the city council's response from the dais? How how did they respond to this this case they made? I think in general, pretty pretty positively. Um, there are there's one council member who pretty steadfastly stands against uh, incentives for programs, uh, Council Member Johnson, and he you know he voted against the first reading for all of the incentive pieces, but in favor of the actual project itself, um, and that's that's what Bob does, um, and, and that's there. Um, I think they made a point to try to show where this will actually, in the end, in the overall scheme of things increase the amount of taxes that would be compared to it sitting fallow and undeveloped for the next 25 years. Um, it's not huge differences. Um, and you don't generate like, you know, the, the idea is that if you put a piece of property down and you increase its value, it's going to generate a lot more tax revenue for, um, for the schools, for the libraries, for the roads, for the city, for the county, whoever. And it generates uh, – the way they have it structured and the, and the things they've done, it, it's going to generate a little bit more than it would have otherwise, but not a ton. Um, but they wanted to show that you're not actually – they're not actually taking any money out of the hands of those uh, various and sundry agencies as a whole. So, But in general, I think the council – they understood all the work that had gone into it. They've seen all the reports. They've seen what the staff did with it. They see the independent stuff. And and at a certain point, it, it, it pretty closely lines up to what their incentive policy is, although they've asked for a pretty healthy chunk, including one piece that was pretty contentious before. Um, and I, I hadn't mentioned that until now, but I'm glad I remembered, uh, is that – This we is had, why we usually do show notes. Right. We had discussed this when this first kind of – this most recent set of development had come around, one of the things that the developer had asked for was a to be able to capture the 1% uh, hotel bed tax that would be generated by the hotel on there. And we, we noted it, and certain members of the council noted it with some significant skepticism that this is something we've never done before as a community. And that was part of this plan. Part of those, um, the TIF, the increment finance, was that we're not, we're going to collect, that they're going to be able to capture that 1% as well over the life of the, over the life of the project. So that's a thing. And, and it got surprisingly little blowback, I think, in the overall scheme of things, um, it, it, b- before getting read or brought up for first reading and approved to move to second reading, which I'm assuming will be here in a couple of weeks. You had mentioned that Councilmember Johnson is not a proponent of incentives usually. I think your comment was, that's what Bob does. Uh-huh. What were his concerns? What were some of the things he said? What did he question when it came to council discussion? I don't think he raised anything, honestly, all that new over what he's raised before. Uh, I think his objections are more just in general as a, this is my political theory that I, I don't want those sorts of things. And his his concerns are legitimate. I mean, I'm not, I'm by no means belittling his stance on this, it's, you know, perhaps a little bit stricter and less flexible than I would choose, but that's, you know, he's the elected official and I'm the guy ranting on a podcast, right? Um, but he, uh, his, his stance is he doesn't like that they reduce his funding for all of the, ver- especially the, the agencies that don't have much of a voice, the library, some of the fire protection districts, the school district, typically gets a pretty strong voice in this and the developers tend to go and they 
they hold their hands out to the school district and they talk to them about what the issues is and they may set up a payment in lieu of taxes or something of that nature to help manage what the school's expectations are. Um, but they don't get the um, they don't get the same um, deference. The library district, of course, which he serves um, on the board for, doesn't get the same deference that other other agencies tend to get. So that it's the same concerns that Bob always has raised in these sorts of things. Um, and I don't think this project differentiates itself that much from it. I think that catches us up on, on the major happenings uh, from the past week or so from the R7 School District and City Council. We are going to take a break. We're going to take a Christmas break next week, Jason. No town hall on Wednesday or Friday of next week. So we wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays and have a great new year. And we will be back with you in 2019. Ryan, I'm round. <laughs> I'm six foot. I'm 245 pounds. It ain't pretty. Mm. I haven't seen the inside of a gym since high school, so we're going to say 90s. We're going to say that once, and we don't have to say it ever again. Mm -hmm. You're going to start training me. You're going to start telling me to eat right. I'm scared, Ryan. Don't be scared. we got some work to do. We're going to do work, Nick, but don't be scared. I don't want to do the work. I'm scared of the work. <laughs> you got to. You, got, you do work at work, don't you? I do. You work your tail off at work, Ryan. You work your tail off on your body. Well, tell me why. Tell me why is it that I need to do this. I mean, I got my reasons. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to dog you out, Nick. I'm not going to hurt your feelings. You're out of shape. You're probably borderline obese. I mean, you're probably going to have some health problems here soon, so you need to take control of your life and and do it for your kids, do it for your family. Um, do it for yourself. You're going to if you you know, you're going to get stronger and you're going to live longer. Let me tell you. This summer I was in the mountains. I was hiking. I remember a time cuz my mind still thinks I'm 20 years old mm -hmm. and 150 pounds. Yep. I got winded. Absolutely. It was hard to hike up the mountain. Altitude, too, so you can't well, be too hard on yourself. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that, and I'm wanting your sympathy as, as we get things going. But mm -hmm. tell me tell me a little bit about, about what does somebody like me do who mm -hmm. sits at a desk 10 hours a day? Mm -hmm. What does somebody like me need to be doing? You, you need to be getting up and moving. You need to get out of your desk and move around periodically throughout the day. I'm sure you run to the bathroom and run all around, but you need to get moving. And you need to make working out a priority in your life. Whether you, If you get busy throughout the day, come in the morning, work out, just get it in, uh, and start to eat healthy. Okay, the first time we came in here, I was busting you, busting you because you were eating Jimmy John's and you had a soda and you had chips. That's so good. Yeah, you can't be doing that anymore <laughs> because that's, where, that's how you got to where you're at. So, so you're going to be mean. Uh, no, I'm working. But I need somebody yeah. to do that. Yeah. It's going to be tough love. I call it tough love. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm good with that. So what? how can people like me, though, find you so they can get healthy, too? Okay. You can contact me. You can go to the website. It's shred with two Ds, kc.com, or give me a shout or a text, 816-588-9609. We can sit down and talk about your goals. And even if you don't like my podcasts, listen anyway, because you're probably going to hear my journey as I try Absolutely. to get healthy again. It's going to be awesome. <laughs>